1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hulkcast. Despite vowing to never mention our defeat to Stevenage again, Villa have subsequently had a week to rest and recoup after our win on the road down at the south coast as Emery overcame yet another hurdle to win against a resilient Southampton side. However, our attention now turns towards a home fixture against struggling Leicester and here to offer his expertise on the opposition is none other than Leicester's The Athletic representative Rob Tanner. Now Rob, despite this being your first time being published on the Holtcast, what our viewers won't know is that it is not in fact your first time recording with us, is it? Unfortunately, due to external circumstances, the episode we recorded earlier in the season was obviously not published due to the match being rescheduled, which I must admit was damning for me as, and I'm happy to put this on record, it was probably my favourite Holtcast preview I have ever recorded. So, (laughs) you know, without further ado, let's get into it. I'm really pleased to welcome you back Rob. How are you mate? Yeah, I'm good thank you. How are you? Yeah not too bad. It's it's nice to be back. Let's get straight into it. So obviously Leicester City sitting 14th in the league on 18 points. Now you find yourself one point off of 18th and three points off of 20th. Not where you expected to be at this stage of the season.
2: Well I'm not sure. Oh yeah obviously you probably wouldn't expect them to be as low as they are but I don't think um, there were real genuine aspirations of challenging for Europe this season. They've gone through three transfer windows now. Now They've signed one player in those transfer windows. They sold Wesley Fofana um, a day before transfer deadline day. So it's been a difficult one for them over the last period. They've got to conform to financial fair play. And there's a lot of clubs that um, are going to start to fall foul of this. Um, Everton, West Ham, Villa even. You know they're gonna they, they're gonna have to really watch their spending. Um, we've seen a lot of investment coming into these clubs, um, but you've still got to conform to the rules. And um, Leicester haven't got the massive rev- revenue stream that people would would think they have. They're not. They haven't got the massive fan base. They haven't got a global fan base. So it's going to be um particularly tricky for them to negotiate this now. Moving forwards,
1: and I, I'm sure other clubs will fall foul of this as well. I'm really glad you mentioned that, and we'll we'll touch on that in more detail slightly later. Um, the January transfer market as a whole, but obviously we talked we talked earlier in the season about the possibility of this fixture potentially being Brendan Rogers' last. Um, and then after talking, you went and won eight out of eleven in all competitions before then being winless in six after the World Cup break in the Premier League. So. Are we are we almost back to where we were last time in the fact that, you know, it's it's panic stations? Because I I remember talking to you last time and it was at that point. Is it as bad now? Well, that first eight games,
2: when they got one point from our eight games, that was, I've never experienced that uh, covering Leicester and I've been doing that for 13 years. Um, but interestingly, they turned it around after the international break, uh, a, an absolute transformation. And a lot of that was down to James Madison he he was in phenomenal form. I think he's just an, another level now. Um, but obviously they lost him to injury again after the World Cup. Come back and they've been on a terrible run again. A lot of injuries have have, have, have caused problems for them. But this, there, I think, there's a glimmer of hope. I mean, Madison's back. Uh, they've signed Tete. They've signed Christiansen. So there's a couple of new faces in. As we record this, you know, it's transfer deadline day tomorrow. I'm expecting them to chase Harrison and Suter. I think they'll only do one of the two. But, um, you know, they're still, I mean, they normally don't do anything in January. Uh, Leicester don't go into the January transfer window. But I think at the moment, um, needs must. They they recognise
1: they're in a predicament and they need to do some business. And uh, that's what they're trying to do. You mentioned the business. You mentioned Tete on loan from Shakhtar Donetsk, and also Victor Christiansen coming in at the back. Uh, also, rumours of Harrison and Harry Souter. How can these signings help get your season back on track? Oh, they just need a boost. They just—I mean—they've had been decimated with injuries for the last.
2: Well, since COVID started, and and I, I, in fact, it was against Villa that Ricardo Pereira did his ACL. Um the last game that was the last Premier League game before COVID hit and and, and everything was suspended. Um and that and that sort of set the tone, really. I mean, after that, that they they were suffering injuries left, right, and centre. As soon as we come back, they had Ben Chilwell out, they had Madison out with a hip injury, they had so many key players missing. And they weren't the they weren't the only ones. I mean, Villa, I'm sure, had their injury list as well. And um, it's just, just a surreal period in, in English football in many ways. And we're starting to come through that now. Hopefully by the end of this season, we'll get back to some normality where we'll, you know, we, we know we're going to start in August and finish in May and there ain't going to be a World Cup in the middle of it. And, you know, we're going to have uh, a sensible approach to the transfer window and but uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting to see how it how it uh, how it um, turns out. But I th-
1: I think Leicester just had a really difficult period with injuries. Yeah, and I mean you know it can it can affect any club, especially with the key players out injured. Now on to Madison, and I don't want to disrespect you too much, but there have been rumours <laughs> of him moving away, uh, rumours to Newcastle. In fact. Um, yeah. Where where do you stand on that? Would that completely ruin Leicester? Do you think there's any truth in it? Oh, there absolutely is truth. Yeah, um, Newcastle bid twice in the
2: last transfer window. Um, the last one, I understand, was around £32 million, pounds, which for a player of Madison's importance to Leicester is very undervalued. Uh, you know, this way short of what their valuation would be. Yeah, there there is absolutely truth in that. And there's a lot of other clubs that would be sniffing around James Madison as well at this moment in time. So, you know, he's, he is such an important player for him. It wasn't 18 months ago, strangely. And uh, I remember Brendan Rogers pretty much challenged him to, to increase his numbers, increase his performance levels. You know, he was floating through games, you you know, if he doesn't offer anything defensively, which he doesn't, what can he offer in the attacking third, the final third of the pitch? And suddenly he responded. Uh, he is a, a really good player, and that's why I, th- I say, you know, he he really needs to to be stepping up another level now, Champions League level, because I think he's that good. I think he was well deserving of an England place, and unfortunately, that knee injury meant that we didn't see anything of him in Qatar. But um, I think he's getting to that level now where he should be challenging for a place in the England squad. He's a really good player, intelligent. He knows, you know, where to buy free kicks, as Grealish used to do at Villa. You know, he's
1: he's that sort of level now where, you know, he needs to step up. I mean yeah I I completely agree the characteristics you mentioned and I didn't want to make the comparison but I I completely understand it. Yeah and... different players aren't they. I mean Greedish
2: and, and Madison are different players to some extent I mean, Greedish loves to, to to play wide and cut inside. Madison's better I think as a 10 or an 8 or an attacking 8. So they they they're, they can play in the same team together I think and I think that's probably what England's thinking is long term. I mean, I know Southgate's needed a bit of um, convincing on Madison. I think there was a bit of a hangover from the under-21s Euros when they were all branded as being a bit arrogant, I think was the word that um, that was used by the FA at the time. But um, I think Madison's proven now over the last 18 months that um, he's not that. I don't forget the Lou for Tom Bag. He's just he's a he's a football
1: purist and he wants to play, and he's improved. Yeah, I mean, very very different players, but both of crucial importance to their clubs, especially when yeah. Grealish was at Villa. Um, and you know, I think it'd be really exciting to see them playing together. Uh, yeah, A midfield three for England of Ward, Prowse, Madison and Grealish would be would be set pieces galore. And you mentioned the price tag around around 30 million. When we see Connor Gallagher being bid for 45 million today, you know, you think Madison's got to be, well, at least 60, 70, if, if that's the going rate nowadays. Now, you won versus Warsaw at the weekend in the FA Cup. Now it's it's one of those for me from a neutral perspective and you know feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Could could a win be beneficial to momentum or would it be a case of would you have preferred a break to go on the training pitch and really work on your shortcomings and come back a stronger side? No, I think they needed that. They needed to go
2: to Warsaw and win. I mean, you know, obviously I'm I'm from that neck of the woods and um that was where I started my career at the Warsaw Advertiser, so it was great to go back and cover that game. Um, but I think they were under no apprehension that it was going to be difficult. It's a small pitch so that allows Walsall to press you and disrupt you. And they're a big side, the back, the back four, enormous at Walsall, but they haven't got a lot of quality going forwards. So it was always going to be one of those classic FA Cup days. Uh, they just had to be resilient and, and, Ultimately, get across the line, which which they did through what I have to say was a deflective winner from Kilechi and Nacho. I mean, he scored seventeen goals in twenty-three FA Cup games. He, he is Mister FA Cup for Leicester, um, uh, and and they got through it. So it, it was it, it, that that's what they, exactly what they needed because uh, it's not going to get any easy in the league, starting with Villa uh, away, which is you know, notoriously difficult for for for, for Leicester. I mean, obviously, the, the League Cup semi-final there it was uh, particularly a bitter blow for them. And I, I'm sure they've had many others as well at Villa Park. I mean, Villa are a big club. The fans, when the fans get behind their team, you know, they, they, they can be a, a real force. So um, they needed that. They just needed to get a win on the board, have some confidence, get some players back from injury, which they have with Madison, sign some new players with Christiansen and Tete, and see if they can go to Villa and and, and be,
1: be stronger. Yeah, I mean, now this isn't as simple as black and white for me, but obviously Everton have recently changed their manager. Southampton have also done the same so far this season. Is there any chance of Brendan Rodgers falling into that bracket of the facing the sacrifice of the potential manager merry-go-round, David Moyes, there was a lot ban- being banded about of, well, if he lost to Everton, then maybe he'd be the next one out the door. Could Brendan Rogers potentially be looking over his shoulder as, as the next victim?
2: No, I don't think so, actually. I think um, the owners recognise that this squad needed refreshing. Uh, it needed a rebuild to some extent. Um, several windows ago, but they couldn't do it because of financial fair play. I mean, this is the thing what I say about, you know, the level of the club. Leicester are a very well-run club, but they have limits in terms of their revenue. And under uh, Premier League rules and uh, UEFA rules, there are certain uh, percentages of your revenue that you can spend on um, your outgoings, your wages, your transfer fees, I think it, with the Premier League, it's 85%. And now UEFA are bringing a new rule that's 70%. And Leicester have obviously competed in Europe for the last couple of wind, uh, seasons. So they were expecting to challenge again this season. So they tried to conform with financial fair play for, for for UEFA, which is 70% of their revenue. And they were over 85% of expenditure. I mean, they've they've rewarded a lot of players with new contracts. They've signed players on big money. Uh, sixty, seventy grand for players that aren't even starting games. So uh, that's a week, by the way. Um, so they had to curtail that because otherwise they were going to get into real serious problems. And it's not the, the owners haven't got money. It's, it doesn't matter what money you've got, as you see with Newcastle and, and some of the others. They can't spend it straight away because of financial fair play rules, which I think just protect the big six clubs rather than help the the clubs below that um that remit. So it's it's um it's been difficult for them. They've had to sort of reset and hopefully uh, in next summer because they've got seven players out of contract um and they've also got certain certain players they want to move on as well there could be a real reshuffle of the pack at Leicester and that's going to cost a bit of money but they're having to go in this window and normally as I said they don't normally do that in, in the January transfer window but they're having a go. They've got Christiansen in, got Tete in. They're going for Jack Harrison at Leeds. They're going for um, Harry Suter at, at Stoke City as well. So be interesting. Tomorrow will be a very interesting day.
1: I mean, it's a good job. This is an audio-only podcast because I was listening to you there nodding away like a rocking horse. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We're we're not actually that far into the season, which going into February seems ridiculous. We're just past the halfway point. Obviously, it's a shame we had to record this before deadline day. So, of course, anything could change. But what are your hopes for the rest of the season?
2: Ah, uh, well, survival, forty points. I mean, Brendan Rodgers said that, and having the the struggles they've had in the early part of the season, that has to be the realistic aim. I mean, I mean also. As we speak, you know they're um into the last sixteen of the FA Cup. They reach the quarterfinals of the League Cup. They always take the cups very, very seriously. They don't they don't field weakened teams in the cup. So that is their. I mean, the FA Cup's their only opportunity to get into Europe. I would suggest, but um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see next uh, the second half of the season. I just want them to have some hope going forwards, a little bit of ambition. Um, inspire the fans a little bit because the fans. Are, I mean, I've never seen the fans at Leicester. Because I think the fact that the ownership of the club is the perfect model. I mean, that it's like winning the lottery to have the ownership that Leicester City have got. But even a certain aspect of the fans have been starting to question the ownership, which I find incredible, incredible. Um, that not only have they invested millions in the club and written off one hundred and three million pounds worth of loans to equity and they've they've built a a children's ward at the local hospital they've uh, given millions away to local charities all around the the city and it's like even if you're not a Leicester fan if even if you're not a football fan there's a good chance that in some way you've been affected by the ownership of Leicester City because they've probably helped a family member with some treatment for some some illness at some point you know They are the gold standard, I think, for ownership in in Leicester. And they still remain absolutely committed to the football club, but they've had to temper it because of financial fair play. And I I think some fans just don't understand that. They don't understand, yeah. they should be throwing millions at it. Why why have West Ham thrown millions? Why have Villa thrown millions at it? And we can't. It's because you have done previously. And and there comes a point, and there will come a point for every club, where you have to go, whoa. We we'll just put the brake on for a little bit and just try and reset, and then we'll go again. You know, it's um, it's just a really difficult one for the ownership at the moment. But uh, I just I hope the reasonable fans of Leicester understand that they're, they're not the biggest club in the world. They haven't got the global fan base. They're chasing the big six, which is a moving target, by the way, because they're always pulling away because they're massive revenue streams. Um, and and then there's there's Behind that big six, there's three clubs, I've always said, that are, have the potential to chase the big six, and Villa are one of them. Villa are definitely one of them. Uh, there, obviously, is Newcastle, not just because of their ownership now, but because of their fan base. I would say West Ham as well, because their fan base. So those are the three that can chase the big six. Leicester aren't in that group, in my opinion, but they've got fantastic owners. Um, reasonable owners, sensible owners. Um, so I just think that I hope I just hope that the rest the of fans as in general just take stock from
0: that.
1: I mean, it seems crazy to me, the fact that you're talking about having to put the brakes on and, you know, worries about financial fair play. And we're seeing Chelsea spend something like 600 million in the last yeah. two windows. It, it it doesn't seem fair, but um, no. Wow, that's football, isn't it? You also mentioned discontent amongst the Leicester fan base. And I think you speak really level headedly about the situation. How would you gauge the atmosphere around Leicester at the moment? From the fan a lot, base. A lot
2: better now. They've made a couple of signings. Um, I think their fans were very frustrated in the summer. I mean that, that I mean Brendan came out and he was talking about a refresh for the squad and what was needed for the squad, and then nothing happened for a very, very long time. And then he came in for pre season and we started to interview him again. And he was talking about, you know, things have changed. He was talking to potential new signings and suddenly the rug had been pulled from under his feet. He was almost, it, it, that's that's effectively what he was saying. that He was talking to potential new signings, trying to get them in and then suddenly there was no funds. But the reason there was no funds is they were expecting to move players on and they couldn't move players on. People like Yannick Vestergaard, they agreed a £10 million fee with Fulham. Um, and Yannick turned around and said, no, I'm not going to Fulham. Even though he knew that he probably he, he weren't going to play uh, many games at Leicester, but I don't think Fulham could offer him the same wages that um, that Leicester could at the time. I mean, I believe he's on about fifty sixty million. No, sorry, fifty sixty fifty sixty thousand uh, a week, which is going to be very hard to get anywhere else. Um, so that they found a lot of it was like a frozen transfer window. They couldn't get players out to get then get players in. And it was only until the Fafana uh, deal went through with Chelsea the day before transfer deadline day. And they managed to get Vault Fars in for 15 million. They sold Fafana for 70 million. That was the only time it really sort of released. And I think that built up in, in some uh, supporters, a faction of the supporters, you know, that frustration. They saw that as a lack of ambition from the football club, which is. Um, was strange. I mean, the reality is that you can't. You know, you've you've only got a, um, a a certain size squad. You can't add more to to the squad under Premier League rules. So you know, unless you get players out, you can't bring players in. No matter otherwise, you're going to be paying very high priced players like Vestergaard, fifty, sixty thousand a week, and they're not included in your squad. And they had that in the previous window with Papi Mendy. Uh, was left out the Premier League squad. So he wasn't registered, couldn't play, but they're still paying him 30, 40 grand a week. I mean, that's not viable as a business model, is it? So that's what the problem they had. And then that's gone into this window and they've managed to get a couple of loans from a queries bank. It's an Australian uh, financial broker. And that's the second and third installment of the farm money. So they've freed up that money now and that's why they're spending now. And that's why you are seeing. Yeah, you know, the deals that they're trying to do now.
1: Yeah, you mentioned struggling to get players out the door, and I think that's also something Villa have struggled with a lot in recent years. Obviously, this is the first window, probably, since we've come back up to the Premier League, where we've actually managed to move on our, our unwanted players, and it seems as though Unai Emery is at the forefront of that. Now, before we move on to Villa, the last question I've got for you about Leicester, we've, we've spoken about dealings behind the scenes what approach can Villa expect from Leicester on the pitch on Saturday
2: um they'll be all out attack they'll go for it I don't think they'll be cagey in any way I mean Brendan never changes his style of play it'll be 4-3-3 it'll be Tete on the right it'll be Harvey Barnes on the left it will be Daka down the middle because Jamie Vardy's injured uh, Telemans and Kitten and Dewsbury Hall with Papi Mendi or Samari if he's fit. There won't be any secrets to it. I, I mean, Unai Emery can do his game plan now because he knows what's coming. They'll go for it. Um, Tete is the uh, wild card in many ways. I won't know too much about him. Although uh, they only have to spend a couple of hours looking at his footage on White Scout to to see what he's about, he'll come inside off the right. He'll try and break lines. He'll run in behind. He'll be um, an outlet. I mean, Madison probably might start, uh, and if he does, then then obviously he'll have Tete in mind. So I don't think there'll be too many surprises for Villa, but I think Villa will be on the front foot, being at home. Um, the way the 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 season's gone for them as well. Uh Una Emery's turning it around a little a little bit, you know, the there feels like there's a bit more of a buzz around Villa. I mean, I live in the West Midlands, so you know, and I, I live in a, a Villa town, Tamworth. So the majority of um uh, football fans here are Villa. Um so I know what's going on at Villa and I know how the the fans feel and that they've they're starting to feel a lot more positive than they did a, a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, it's not often that um, Tamworth gets a shout out on the Holtcast, but there we go. Um,
2: Marco Brighton, Villa's (laughs) big
1: Villa fan. Through and through, absolute Villa fan, through and through he is. We love Marco Brighton. We both have a mutual love for him. Now, let's move on to Villa. Um, Obviously, we've made two incomes in January with Alex Moreno making his first start for Southampton and keeping a clean sheet and John Duran looking set to make his first appearance in the squad. Now, obviously Villa could make a few more additions with deadline day being as of recording this tomorrow. Uh, There's no concrete links to anyone, but there are rumours that Villa could dip into the loan market or, you know, perhaps maybe some surprise additions. A lot of people know that Villa are very quiet with their transfer dealings now and aren't scared to make an addition out of nowhere with no one knowing what's going on. What do you make of Villa squad from an outsider's perspective?
2: Uh, untapped resources really. I, mean, I think they've got some really good talent there. Um, they haven't quite obviously under Unai now they they was starting to reach their potential, but I, do, I think they're a little bit shy up top. I think they need a bit more of a goal threat. Um, selling Danny Ings was an interesting one. Didn't really see that coming. That was one of those that you just mentioned really. It was so quiet. Nobody, uh, Predicted that there wasn't... I mean, normally, I know what, how it works in the ter- in terms of the transfer world. You know, we all talk to agents and we get a wind of what's going on. Um But that one's sort of just come out of left field, really. Uh, and I thought to myself, that's left them a little bit light. But obviously, they must have a strategy for that. So that'd be interesting to see how, how that turns out. Uh, Ollie Watkins is not really found the same level that he's done before. Um, they've spent a lot of money. I mean, I, I, I don't know if Villa fans realise how much they've spent on Coutinho, his wages. I mean, it's an enormous amount of money they've, they've, they've committed to that deal. And that's not really paid off. Um, I mean, he was on something like £350,000 a week at Barcelona. and From what I'm told, they're, they're paying a, a large chunk of that money, and not that much, but obviously... Paying a large chunk, um, so they are big payers. Um, so, be yeah. I mean, I was obviously we're talking before the end of the transfer window, but I think Villa might try and bring a striker in, try and do a bit of business and 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 just add a bit more firepower to their attack because um, I think that's the area they probably need to strengthen.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Danny Ings must have the best agent in world football when it comes to keeping secrets because that's twice now that he's moved with without even a whisper of it happening uh you mentioned ollie watkins Unai i stating that he has full faith in ollie watkins but i just loaning cameron archer out as well i just can't see us finishing mm. the season with ollie watkins and then a 19 year old john duran who is yet to make a premier league appearance but Who knows? Um, I have full faith in Unai Emery to get it right. So this time tomorrow, we shall wait and see. Now, this is a bit of a different question. You obviously watch Leicester a lot, um, more than anyone probably listening to this podcast. Now, if you had to put yourself in Unai Emery's shoes and you were on the touchline for Villa at the weekend, knowing what you know about Leicester, how would you go about beating them?
2: Well, they're susceptible at the back. I mean, Danny Amate, I mean... He is he's an accident waiting to happen in games. You watch him, and sometimes he does some brilliant things, and then you think oh, there's just a mistake waiting to happen. So you put pressure on him, you would target him. Christiansen coming in, um, sort of alleviates an issue at left back because Luke Thomas also had a, a ricket in him. So I, I say you know, Leicester can't keep clean sheets, and certainly they're susceptible from set pieces. So that is an area that I think Villa would look to exploit. Uh, Nididi uh, has not been in form at all uh, defensively. So again, you can get that back four through that midfield because it will be Telemans, Keenan, Jusby Hall and Madison, I I would suspect. So there's not a lot of defensive cover there. So Leicester will have to go on the front foot, which will create opportunities for Villa. Villa will if they can if
1: they're smart they will pressurize that back four and see if they can get any joy. Well wow, there we go. Almost the complete opposite to our win at Southampton um where we had to really break down that sturdy defense Unai. You won't obviously... get that with Leicester. No, you won't <laughs> get that with Leicester. <laughs> Big big fan of the channel is Unai Emery. So if you're listening, there you go. That's how to um, get the three points and keep the good times rolling at Villa Park. Now, uh, last question before I move on is um, your thoughts on Villa and your thoughts on Emery from what you've seen so far from an outside perspective this season. Well, yeah,
2: United. Yeah, obviously got a raw deal with Arsenal. He went back to Spain and obviously proved his worth there. In, 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 in you know the success he had there. From what I understand, he constantly was working on his English because I think communication was the big issue for him before at Arsenal. Um, He seems to have managed that a little bit better. Uh, He seems to have, that penny has dropped with him. He's obviously been determined to come back and have another crack at the Premier League. Um, I mean, it is the biggest league in, in European football, biggest league in the world probably. I mean, I, th- I always describe it as a global league, although it's played in, in England with, you know, English fans and the English traditions. It's, you know, we have managers from all over the world, players from all over the world, owners from all over the world. And so he's obviously been determined to come back. Uh, so I feel like he's got the bit between his teeth now and he doesn't want this opportunity to to slip by. And he's at a really good club. Let's be honest. They're probably the biggest club in your, in, in the Midlands, Um they, they've they got the resources, they've got the fan base. He knows it's a great opportunity for him. If he gets it right, then, you know, he they could really take off. The flip side of that is there's high expectations at Villa. I mean, I've been to Villa many, many times over the years. And, you know, when that expectation's not met by the fans, um, it can turn as well. A bit like Newcastle, when you go to Newcastle, when I've previously gone to Newcastle and, They've been struggling, and their expectation levels are so high. And if the team isn't performing, um, it you know he can turn the other way. Villa sometimes can turn the other way, but um, when it's rocking and the whole end's moving, I'm literally moving. Uh, that stand just creaks, incredible. Um, when they're on it, then there's untapped potential there. But uh, and I think he must know that. So let's see if he gets it firing. And that's what it needs. It needs an ignition. It needs something to happen there that's just going to get them going. And then there's no limit to what can be achieved there, in my opinion. I mean, I've seen what's been achieved at Leicester, you know, the title win of 2016. Leicester are nowhere near Villa in terms of the revenue and the fan base. So it can happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen miracles happen. Blimey, my book's called 5,000 to 1. The Last City story, you know, 5,000 to 1, the odds. And then winning the title in 2016, they made it happen. So uh, Villa fans have just got to believe, but they've got to stick by their team, not have too high expectations now, because I think this is a season of transition for Villa. The, the, it, Unai Emery's coming in, he's going to turn it around slowly. They've, they're going in a different direction um, from um, Dean Smith and the managers they've had before, you know, it, it is a change and it it's going to take a bit of time, but they've got to have patience. But if they give the manager time, you never know.
1: God, I was almost heartwarming that. Get that <laughs> playing in the dressing room before the game. If I was a player, I'd be ready to run through brick walls. Um, Right. So, two questions to finish off. I know we're slowly running out of time here, and these are personally my favourite two questions of every podcast. And the first one is, what is your score prediction for the weekend? Um, I, 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 I'm I, quietly confident that Leicester can go
2: there and get a draw. Um, Tete coming in, Christensen will start, Madison's back fit. They've lost Vardy, obviously, but his powers are on the wane. So... They might start naturally. I, I think Leicester might get a draw there, which wouldn't be the worst result in the world at all, going to Villa. Um, I've been there many times when it's been the other way. Um, so, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think they, they might get a draw. There we go. And then my last question for you is, we always end the podcast on a non-football-related question, which gets passed down from viewers. Now, last week's was probably the weirdest non-football-related question that we've ever had passed down. And this is from Jacob Tanswell, also of The Athletic, who asked you, do you put the milk in the bowl first or the cereal in the bowl first? Now, for me, surely there's only one answer here. Do I put the milk or the cereal? Actually, I'm a a scrambled eggs
2: man. um, (laughs) Actually, I have granola and I um, put granola in first and then it's milk and yoghurt.
1: This the milk never ever do you
2: know anyone no. who puts the milk, in first? milk goes in second. You put your cereal in or your granola in first,
1: then your milk goes in. Yeah. Well, Jacob, um Seems like you are the odd one out on this occasion. Um, I don't think I've ever met anyone that put the milk in first. And if I did, I don't think I'd ever want to meet them again. I don't think I'd trust them, to be (laughs) honest. Um, But that now leads us on to your turn. So if you could think of a non-football related question to be passed down to next week's episode. I love okay. seeing people's faces when I put them on the spot. Okay. Um, so you just want a crazy
2: question to be put to the next person that's can going anything, on your podcast. Just non-football related. <laughs> There's no rules. Okay. Um, do you tuck your t-shirt in your underpants?
1: Brilliant. <laughs> that is, that is perfect. And unfortunately that is all we have time for today. A massive, massive thank you to Rob Tanner for his time as always, without him, this episode wouldn't have been possible. If you want to go and follow him on Twitter, it is at Rob Tanner LCFC. If you also want to follow us on Twitter, it is at 7500 to Halt, and I am at Sebastian Bacon 8 A massive thank you to all of you who are listening, and let's hope that Villa just three points off of sixth now can continue their winning ways at home on Saturday it feels like ages since I've last been at Villa Park so I can't wait to be back and I hope to see you all there once again thank you for listening and up the villa